2: Podcasts. There
0: are people who actually you know
5: nothing about the game of parasit before. All they know is how to write paragraphs. And uh, I can take criticism. That just makes you work harder and uh, makes me prove them wrong. I
6: really they didn't care. They
5: can write all they want. I'm saying, hey, all oh, this is hard work and I can do it and I'm gonna prove to you that I can do it. And that's all that was. I wasn't upset. Uh wasn't hurt or anything like that. I just came out and said, Man, I got proved wrong. And that's it. It comes in one ear, goes to my
0: memory bank, goes to my motivation bank, and comes out of the other ear. That's
1: all. Over the previous 11 episodes of this series, We've been exposed to the many different sides of the adolescent Kobe Bryant, the young Mamba. We saw his confidence, and we saw his insecurities. We saw the loyalty and love he had for his friends and family, and we saw his willingness to let people he was close to drift out of his life. We saw his raw honesty, and we saw his ability to manipulate situations and people to his advantage, to keep secrets, to get what he wanted we got a good long look at a complex kid who became a complex man. The clip that opened this episode was, of course, from one of Kobe's interviews with Jeremy Treatment. It was from early in his senior year at Lower Merion. Jeremy had asked him what he thought of the sports writers and talk radio hosts who thought he shouldn't skip college, shouldn't turn pro, and probably wouldn't make it in the NBA. You ask Kobe a question like that, You're going to get another side of him in return. You're going to get defiance. And that side of Kobe, his defiance side, is one that his teammates, his coaches, the media, and plenty of other people saw throughout his career with the Lakers. Kobe was not an approachable guy for most of those 20 years. He was a workaholic and, often, very much a loner, an entity unto himself. He wasn't accepting much advice from his elders and his peers, and it took him a while to start dishing any out. This was kind of what the Mamba mentality was all about.
7: Imagine you wake up at three, you train at four. You go four to six, come home, breakfast, relax, so-so. Now you're back at it again, nine to 11. You relax, and now all of a sudden you're back at it again, two to four, and now you're back at it again, seven to nine. Look how much more training I have done by simply starting at four, all right? And so now you do that, and as the years go on, the separation that you have with your
1: competitors and your peers just grows larger and larger and larger and larger. But once Kobe reached the last few seasons of his career and moved into retirement, something about him seemed to change. He wrote a best-selling book. He won an Oscar. He embraced his role as a girl dad. And he morphed into the wise old owl of the NBA. Players sought him out for counsel and insight. And more importantly, he was open to giving it. This was not the Kobe we knew. We're at the second anniversary of his death. And one of the factors that made it more tragic was that Kobe appeared to be moving in this new direction in his life. There seemed to be more ahead for him. So in this bonus episode, we wanted to explore how that change might have come about and what this new Kobe was like. And we wanted to do it through the perspectives of three current NBA players. Guys who could explain what it was like to play against or with Kobe, to talk to Kobe, to interact with Kobe in those years just before his death, guys who could express the meaning of Kobe's legacy in a way most of us never could. We'll start out with someone familiar to basketball fans everywhere.
6: Anthony Fakes puts it up for the win. It's good! With five-tenths
5: of a second remaining, there's still time. Carmelo Anthony gives it
7: a two-point lead. Yeah, so redemption time
1: for Melo. Carmelo Anthony, future Hall of Famer, the ninth leading scorer in NBA history, is in his 19th season in the league and his first with the Lakers. I didn't interview Melo, but two guys who have covered the NBA much longer and much better than I have, Jack McCallum and J.A. Adande, did. They talked to him for season two of another Diversion podcast, the Dream Team Tapes. Melo and Kobe were teammates for the U.S. at the 2008 and 2012 Summer Olympics. The other two players are teammates on Kobe's hometown team, the Philadelphia 76ers. I spoke with Seth Curry and Tobias Harris about their vantage points on Kobe, what it was like to grow up watching him, and what it was like to meet him and play against him. And more importantly, as Seth Curry says here, we spoke about why Kobe's presence and spirit are still felt throughout the NBA.
6: The guys
0: who are in the league now, the guys who grew up watching him play. We grew up on him um, from when we were little kids to he played 20 years in the league or whatever. So that's 20 years of our, of us first learning the game, first watching the game. And we kind of saw his whole career as a youngster, all his time with the Lakers, spent his whole career with the Lakers, um, ups and downs, tragedies, triumphs, the way he overcame a lot of adversity. So. Uh, Obviously, Andy's just one of the greatest to ever do it, and he did it his own way. So, I mean, that that respect level was impressive across the league.
1: I'm Mike Sealski, and from Diversion Podcasts, this is I Am Cody.
8: Gotta learn from the great minds, no, we ain't lying. Tell them that it's game time.
1: Episode 12: Legacy Through Carmelo Anthony's first five years in the NBA, he and Kobe Bryant weren't really friends. They might text now and again, but they weren't what anyone would call close. And Mello, well, his perception of Kobe was one that was pretty common around the league. Here he is again, talking to Jack and JA.
5: Like he don't I mean, he don't give a damn. Like he don't got no friends. He just all about basketball. He just locked in twenty four seven. Like that's who he was. It wasn't my perception was his reality. Like that was everybody knew that.
3: You
5: know, Kobe ain't trying to be cool with nobody. Like he don't want no friends. Like he focused on being great and basketball and training and keeping like he was he always trying to figure out a way how to get one up on somebody and try to get the edge so we knew that i knew that but then once we got in 08 that was when our our relationship really took off
1: when mellow says 08 he's talking about the run-up to the 2008 summer olympics in beijing the u.s men's basketball team at those games was known as the redeem team because the U.S. had finished 6th at the 2002 World Championships and had struggled to take bronze at the 4 Games in Athens. The Redeem team had Kobe and Mello and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. And the team's leadership corps wanted to make a few things clear to Kobe before they embarked on their quest to win the gold medal. He couldn't be selfish. He couldn't be a gunner. He had to sacrifice for the good of the team.
5: Because of the pre notion that everybody had about Kobe, him coming on the team, everybody expected that, him to bring what he was doing with the Lakers. And, you know, everybody just thought that's what he was going to do coming on that team. And as leaders on the team, that was approached before that. You know, it was to sit down with Kobe, like, listen, bro, like, we don't need the Laker Kobe. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we need, like, we, we need you to be who you are. But, you're playing, with, you know, you're playing with the best now. Like you're playing with the best of the best. So I, I think at first it took him a little while for, for him to adjust to that.
1: Once he did, though, Kobe was the best player on that Olympic team, and he didn't have to shoot all the time to do it.
7: Bryant gets inside, kicks it out to Anthony. He's been shooting
1: well. Knocks down the team. He was a tone setter with his work ethic and defense. And by opening himself up to his teammates' advice and suggestions, Kobe expanded his vision for the kind of player and the kind of person he could be. Here's Mello again.
5: The way that he bought himself to become so comfortable with us, you know, and, and the players on the team and, you know, really understanding, like, okay, like, this is a band of brothers here. Like, you know, in the Lakers, he was... He, he, he was who he was, right? He, you know, he'd he come in early in the morning, he'd come in late at night, and he's working, and he's doing his thing, and he's out with people coming in. It was, you know, he never let nobody in there with him. Like, he was, you know, he was very, you know, secretive and, and standoffish. With us, like, you saw him, like, slowly letting his guard down. Even on the buses, you know, even going to the Olympic Village, and going to other sporting events like you saw the guard coming coming down you saw those bricks falling and he was fully immersed in in what we was doing and being there with us and that was something that was like okay he 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 finally like okay we got the last brick down like the wall is down like it's down y'all damn we did a good job like it was you almost felt like a sense of victory Seeing him laugh the way that he was laughing and, you know, talking and communicating and stories and just like you, we felt that.
1: I don't think it's a coincidence that Kobe won his final two NBA championships with the Lakers in 2009 and 2010, right after Beijing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the changes we saw in Kobe began in earnest around then, too. I really see the 2008 Olympics as a turning point in his career and in his life. The Kobe he became during the 08 games was the Kobe he remained until the day he died.
5: I think we gave him another edge. Like, we gave him another level of sharpness because he knew like how sharp we were on that team, you know, from us getting up early in the morning and training and working out and talking and watching film and, and you know, having fun too. but. He saw the sharpness that we had on that team, everybody. And, and what what I used to say was, iron sharpens iron. And he understood that. He understands that language. And he also understands something that we used to, me and him, we used to always say Lions don't hang with nobody other than Lions, right? That's
0: a gigantic shot. Great play by Kobe Bryant. I thought he was the controller. 98, 92, another three. Kobe Bryant gets it to go.
5: It ahead, Kobe Bryant up oh, the gorgeous
6: team, and a superb finish
0: L A S I K
3: Play.
1: Hey, this is Mike Sielski, host and writer of I Am Kobe. This podcast project came out of my work on a related book called The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. If you want to explore other parts of Kobe's story, check out The Rise. It's not just a book version of the podcast. I dive deeper into some of the topics covered in this series and even some that we don't cover at all. Kobe's upbringing, his family, his identity, his effect on his friends and teammates, his journey into the NBA, and his earliest days with the Lakers. The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality is out now. Just head over to theriseofkobebook.com and you can buy it from any of your favorite retailers. That's theriseofkobebook.com. Thanks. So how did the characteristics of this new Kobe manifest themselves? What was he like, and how was he different in those latter years of his career and during his retirement? We heard from Carmelo about how and why Kobe changed, but he had known Kobe for a long time. I wanted to talk to a couple of players who didn't meet Kobe until much later, who grew up idolizing him. Seth Curry and Tobias Harris of the Sixers fit that description and each had an interesting or unique connection to Kobe. Seth is the son of longtime NBA sharpshooter Dell Curry, and, of course, the younger brother of superstar Steph Curry. Del played against Kobe, Steph played against Kobe, and Seth played against Kobe. Here's Seth.
0: You just see the, the amount of respect that all three of us have for, for Kobe, his longevity, and what he means to the, what he means to the game. Uh, I, I remember growing up as a kid, obviously... Um, my dad playing against him. He was that's back. He was one of my favorite players back then. When he was wearing number eight, and I just remember my cool. Like my dad played him one time. and came back in the middle of the night from LA, Um and he brought me signed jersey and his game shoes from that game. So I still have him to this day, which is pretty cool.
1: Just before the 2015-16 season, Kobe's last in the NBA. Seth was playing for the Sacramento Kings. Who held a couple of preseason games in Las Vegas. One night while he was there, Seth and a few of his teammates went out to eat. A familiar face was already in the restaurant. And Kobe in the back eating dinner, it was just him
0: and his security guard. Um, in the back when he walked out and came to came to say what's up, and he ended up sitting sitting with us for like an hour, just chopping it up with us, talking telling us about uh I mean, we were asking him questions, telling us about what he did, was doing that summer and that season just to prepare for his last season everything he had to go through to get ready for a game. Uh, he was just telling us some crazy stories. So, um, I'm really the only chance I had to have extended interaction with Kobe, talking the game with him, just learning picking his brain, seeing how he how he ticked. And it was kind of cool because it, it was going into his last year. You know, he kind of turned the corner as far as his, his competitiveness, he was... I to a point where he was willing to, to give away some secrets and some tips to tell the guys that, you know, if that was four or five years earlier, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have told us nearly any, anything about what he was doing to get ready to play. So it was still a pretty cool experience.
1: There it is. If Seth had been playing in the NBA before 2008, before Kobe went through his Olympic experience, would Kobe have approached that table and taken the time to talk with Seth and his teammates? I'm not sure. That said, I don't think Kobe ever lost the essence of who he was. And Seth didn't think that either. I asked him what he thought Kobe's legacy was.
0: First of all, it was his competitiveness. I mean, yeah, his his drive, his competitiveness to be great. Um, He sacrificed a lot in his personal life, friends, uh, friendship, even. He said some of his his years with his family, just to be the the best at his craft and and to be the... um, Best way it could possibly be, so you got to respect that. Doing with one franchise for twenty years, um, just when he, his name is just tied right in with the Laker, with the Laker um, organization, Laker culture, the whole city of L.A. I think that's that competitiveness and then just that that Laker tradition is is his legacy.
1: For Tobias Harris. Kobe's legacy was tangible well after he had retired. Harris was in his seventh NBA season, and with his third NBA team, the Detroit Pistons, when they traded him to the Los Angeles Clippers in January 2018. The Clippers and the Lakers share the same home arena. It was called Staples Center then. It's called Crypto.com Arena now. Whatever its name, to Tobias, it was Kobe's house.
6: Yeah, just because like, you know, there's always that feeling of um, you know, Bob, woman in the arena, dive sounds with the Clippers, but just just knowing like that's this is an arena that he put a mark on all through his career. Uh, the achievements, you know, just uh even when we would play the Lakers, the excitement, seeing like, their games on T V. It was a real excitement for the Buzz of L A. But it's because of Kobe and what he implemented and you know, obviously, Kobe and Shaq, the, the duo that they had, and then after that. Um, but, yeah, being out there, is, is, it was like, you know, maybe being playing in L.A. and him playing in L.A., you know, obviously, we're on just two different teams, but just that, that buzz in basketball, I think, was is, is created and, and kind of just heightened through Kobe's achievements out there.
1: Tobias is in his fourth season with the Sixers, and I talked with him not long after he was involved in an incident that made me think of Kobe. It happened during a game against the Houston Rockets in Philadelphia. Tobias has been having a bit of a down season, and after he missed an easy shot and Philly fans started booing him, he raised his arms in defiance, as if to say, Bring it on. Then he hit a shot later in the game, and as he ran back down court, he said, don't fucking boo. He got a fair amount of criticism and pushback for that, which shouldn't be surprising. Philly fans can be tough, but they're also pretty sensitive. Anyway, since the incident had just happened, I asked him if he'd given any thought to how Kobe would have reacted in that situation.
6: He, like, wasn't at 11, that he was at, he just rely on his his work ethic and, and, and pushing through. So, you know, I, I take all those things into consideration, of course, and how I kind of implement how I go about it and just continue to work. And, you know, I think he, he was one of the best playing through his career, ups and downs, and, but, you know, nothing really faced him on, on the floor. So, yeah, I think he definitely did a great
1: job of that. In late August 2019, Kobe held a mini camp for current NBA players. It was invite only, and it focused almost entirely on offense. Kobe wanted to impart his knowledge to the next generation of scorers. He held the camp at his Mamba Academy in Thousand Oaks, California. It's become a legendary event in recent NBA history. Tobias Harris was one of the players Kobe invited. Again, I'm not sure this is something Kobe would have even considered doing earlier in his life, yet it stands out now as one of the reasons that he became such a respected figure during his retirement. It's not just that Kobe decided to try to be a mentor. It's that players wanted him to be a mentor. Why? What was it about him that drew these younger guys to him? Here's what Tobias told me.
6: Uh, You know, I think honestly, it's his love for a game of basketball. I think, you know, when I was out there in LA and there was a group of, myself and Mike, I think it was like, Twenty-some guys, but you could really see how much he loves basketball and how much um, basketball was was a part of him. And really, you could see that he was a very good teacher. And I think that was a thing that he probably knew his whole career. But when he retired, I think he had like a, a realization: like I'm such a good teacher at teaching people things that I should do it more. And I remember when we were at the camp, that was all like an offense camp. And he was showing some guys some defense. He was like joking around. He's like, man, that's that's what I want to do. Let's do that next year, all defense.
1: Next year. God, think about it. That was the summer of 2019. There was no next year. Five months later, Kobe was gone. We are two years removed now from his death. And in so many ways, it is still surreal. In so many ways, the shock still lingers. In so many ways, it feels like that tragedy didn't really happen. We've done our best in this series to give you a fresh look at Kobe. A chance to see him, and examine him, and judge him, and remember him from a different perspective, from several different perspectives. Always, though, there was one theme at the core of this podcast, the drive that made Kobe great.
7: Everything was done to try to learn how to become a better basketball player. Everything everything, and so when you have that point of view, then literally the world becomes your library to help you to become better at your craft. The players that had that passion, but weren't willing to commit their entire lives to doing that, right, it's a choice, right? You have other things, you have family, you have all these other things that you have to do. The game can't really be your number one priority. And so I was just looking at that like, man, I'm, this is going to be fun.
1: You saw a lot of the young mama. You saw some of Kobe in his prime. In this episode, you saw how Kobe matured, how even he saw himself in a different way. You might admire him. You might despise him. But it will be impossible to forget him. And we appreciate you joining us as we told his story. I Am Kobe is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Mike Sealskin. It's produced by Jacob Bronstein and directed by Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Stephen Tompkins is our production assistant. Our theme music is Create Yourself by Grover Brahm, featuring Justin Starling. Find Create Yourself wherever you stream music. Music supervisor is Scott Velasquez for Friesan Sync. Executive producers are Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Join the conversation about I Am Kobe on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at Diversion Pods. Thanks to Oren Rosenbaum, Susan Canavan, and Jeremy Treatment.
8: Hey. love I rise before the sun. They don't understand when I say the grind is fun. Never clock out, even when my work is done. If they tryna block me, I might hurt someone. Through the blood, sweat, and tears, we persevere. Stay killing it, better keep the hearses near. If they don't believe in themselves, they revert to fear. Now the champ is here, so I'm telling them, that's my ambition. The reason why my work's so damn different to the negatives, I can't listen. See me at the top, you can't listen. I'ma mold the clay like cash is See, I pay my dues plus taxes Gotta work ethic and grind ahead of its time If someone say that they made you Tell them you create yourself found well, the bench you finna watch Us by It's by that time You gotta stay clocked in Break by break We create ourselves Watch me Watch me Create myself Jack clock Time's up Create yourself Talent wasn't given, it was made The future anytime I could change Better tell them that I made it back home As I walk through the halls of the fame I came from the valley of the shadow of death Waiting for a silver spoon, don't hold your breath Same town, same dream, but I did it with less I know who I'm meant to be, so there's nothing to guess Yeah, there's nothing to guess It's our time, tell them we up next we don't got any regrets, I did it with my two hands and we never forget That's my ambition, the reason why my work's so damn different To the negatives, I can listen. see me at the top, you can't miss it For real, rebuild, reshape, give me your all, you got to risk take Do it now and I'm saying why wait? If someone say that they made you, tell them you create yourself i um, the best you finna watch us ball it's about that time. You got to stay clocked in brick by brick. We create ourselves. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Create myself. Track clock. Time's up. Create yourself. Stay nice. Go hard. Create yourself. Got to learn from the great mind.
3: Mo'Play. play